In this piece, I'm gonna detail my self-defense system. So this is part of the kind of the larger Doomer Optimism series uh, that I'm doing, uh, where I kind of talk about what I'm doing to prepare for the world that I think, not just coming, that we live in now. And I'm starting with defense. Not because defense is the most important thing of all of the, the there's like, I kind of identify five pillars, defense, water, food, power, and community. All are important, all are crucial. The reason I start with defense is there's two reasons. One is because it's, I think, the easiest for a lot of people to, to make progress on and to understand. Um, you know, it's like I just joke with my friends who are super into defense that like, just because, you know, Biden or Trump or whoever you hate does something uh, stupid doesn't mean you need to go buy another thousand rounds of ammo. <laughs> That's what a lot of people do. But the reason is uh, because defense is um, an easy place to get traction in, right? That's the first reason. The second reason is because I think without a good defense plan, everything else is useless, right? Uh, you know, there's a, a long ongoing joke in the resilience community, the prepping community, whatever you want to call it, that um, there's the people who stock up uh, on, you know, food and, and supplies and whatever. And then there's the people who stock up on guns. And that if, if shit gets bad, the people who stock up on guns are just going to go shopping at the, the houses of people who stock up with food. And when my friends make this joke, I'm always like, motherfucker, I got guns too. <laughs> but uh, the point is, if you don't have the ability to defend what is yours, then in everything short of a stable, safe uh, world, then it's not yours. Right. So uh, that's why I like to start with defense. Um, and I'll tell you, like straight up, to be honest, in in pre-2020, I didn't really worry about home or self-defense very much. You know, I was an American living in America. And so like I I, I was uh, living in the safest, richest, most abundant uh, place maybe in the history of the world. I had nothing to worry about. I could be, you know, fat and happy, right? Uh, I think that that period is over. Um, I don't believe America is, America is far safer than most places, but it's not what it used to be. And I think it's going to get far worse, at least at certain times and in certain ways, right? And so uh, what I'm going to do is kind of walk you through my thinking on self-defense, how it evolved from where it was to where it is now, all the people I learned from, the things I do, what I carry on a day-to-day -day basis, um, stuff like that. Uh, so uh, I'm not saying my system is the best or the one you should adopt, but it is, it's worked for me so far and, and it's pretty solid, at least given that I've been able to learn from some of the best people in the world. And the reality is I've probably spent $100,000 on training guns, supplies, ammo, and just the defense space. And that's not just like, I, I don't have like a thousand guns or something. It's not, it's, uh, uh, there's so many aspects of this to think about and so many different things. That includes home defense, ranch defense, all of that. So um, I don't want, even if you have that money, I don't want you to have to spend all that. You can learn from my mistakes and from the things I got right. Also, uh, if you think that this is paranoid, cool. Good for you. You can ignore this whole piece. Uh, it's not going to be useful for those of you 
whose strategy is to ignore reality and pretend everything's fine until it's not. This is a piece that is for people who who want to get ready, right? And prepare for things to not be as peaceful as they may be right now. All right, let me start with my, my history with self-defense. Uh, like I said, uh, a, a American lived in America pre-2020. I didn't really think much about it. I mean, I, I grew up around guns. I like guns. I grew up around guns. My uncle, my grandmother had a farm. Uh, they shot all the time. Guns were normal to me. I had a 22 in high school. Um, you know, I dicked around with it. I, I never got super into guns, but, you know, I like them. They're fine. Um, uh, went hunting a few times, you know, in high school, stuff like that. Nothing crazy. Uh, I started um, uh, Muay Thai and, and uh, MMA training in uh, 2007, 2008 when I lived in LA, mainly because <laughs> I hated LA so much. I had to get my anger out somewhere and punching bags and people was a, a pretty good way to do it. Um, got to Austin, took a long break from all martial arts, then got back into uh, MMA, but more on the jiu-jitsu side. Started Gi Jiu-Jitsu at Gracie Umata. Um, uh, first with Donald Park and then Paulo Brandao. And, uh, you know, I rolled at the school, Tim Kennedy rolls that and a bunch of other people like that. Um, and it's, I'm brown belt now. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty good at, at, at gi jiu-jitsu. Uh, but, uh, like I said, you know, I didn't, even though I, I did martial arts, yeah, like the self-defense stuff was cool and it was, it's an awesome skill to have, but I mainly did it cause it was fun. It's a great way to work out. I really enjoyed it. Like I don't enjoy deadlifting but I like trying to choke a dude out, right? Uh, and then, so, um, you know, like, uh, then came the summer of 2020, right? And the BLM and Antifa riots, and I realized um, we were in a different world. And it was time for me to get serious about self-defense, that um, uh, being fat and happy in America wasn't going to cut it anymore. And so, you know, what's funny is I had never really been, I thought, you know, assault rifles were cool and, like, you know, I knew Tim Kennedy. He was a friend of mine. We rolled together, but I never trained with him. You know, I'm like, that's, I'm not in the military. Like, wh why do I need to know how to clear a room or, you know, like uh, put rounds on target from 100 yards with a AR-15? Like, it, it's cool. It just felt like LARPing to me. But then I was like, okay, this isn't LARPing anymore. So I, I, I dove into that world pretty hard. And I'll tell you, honestly, it's really hard to find good, reliable knowledge in the self-defense space. The reason is because there are so many people in that space that have so many opinions and they are wildly, vastly different. And it's really hard to find experts for civilians, right? So like, uh, you know, I have a ton of military and I'm going to talk about my friends um, and uh, some of the experts I went to who have vast military expertise and they are really good at military expertise. But there is a point at which military expertise is not always good for civilians, right? Like the way, the gear you would use uh, uh, and the strategy you would use to, let's say, uh, clear a building of terrorists is most of the time not that effective, either gear or strategies for civilians defending themselves in, uh, let's say, a riot-type situation or a, an, a robbery-type situation. And so, um, like, so it's hard to understand what you need and don't need a civilian. But then also, there's a whole group of people that I call gun guys who are not necessarily military, but they're super into guns. And they might be super, super knowledgeable. I mean, shit, a lot of them are. But like they think about guns from a very um, specialist expertise way. And uh, so 
it's often not very helpful to civilians, right? To, to someone who wants, who looks at a gun as a functional tool that uh, I want to use to help defend me and my family, but I'm not fetishizing guns. I'm not trying to have the coolest gun or like, I don't care about these minuscule differences. I'm not shooting for competition, right? There's a whole class of people who shoot, you know, in competitions, which is great. But like, those are not actually the type of people you, you want to listen to for self-defense a lot. So it's kind of groping through the dark in a lot of ways, right? Um, but I will tell you, the person who helped me the most get my mind right uh, with civilian self-defense was a guy named Clay Martin, right? And uh, I read two books by Clay. They're called, I linked them in the, in the show notes or in, in the blog post, uh, Prairie Fire and Concrete Jungle. And Clay was the first, Clay was a 20 year Green Beret and like all this crazy, um, amazing military expertise. But like he didn't think like, a, I mean, he does think like a military guy, but his books weren't for military guys, they were for civilians. And what he helped me understand is what gear to buy and not buy, how to set up my gear, how to train with it, how to think about the things I wasn't even thinking about, like where to live, not just the state, but where in that state, and not just the city, but where, like in the city, far out of the city, et cetera, um, uh, building community, all these sorts of things, right? So Clay was super, super important for me. And uh, if, you're, uh, if you're listening to this uh, uh, or watching on video, I did a three hour two-part interview with Clay where I went super deep into uh, uh, buying the right gear, right? Like what gear do you need? What are the things a civilian has to have to be capable of self-defense? I would highly recommend uh, watching that if you're if you're trying to, to really understand self-defense. Gear is the best place to start, honestly. Uh, it really is. And Clay, in three hours, walked me through exactly... Now, I wish I met him like a year and a half late. If, if I had listened to that interview at the beginning, I would have saved myself probably 50 grand. <laughs> I would save myself so much money. Um, all right, so now let's say you buy your gear, and I'm gonna go through my gear later, but you buy your gear. Um, you watch the interview, you get it. Okay, I, I know what I need, I buy it. Then the, the next sort of thing is, I think the next step, in my opinion, is what I call developing a self-defense mindset. Right. Um, and here, because here's the thing about self-defense. This took me a long time to understand. Um, if you can't effectively defend yourself, then self-defense skills are the most important thing to acquire in your life. Uh, but if you can, then they're, they aren't important at all right up to the point you need to use them. But then when it's time to use them, you've got to use them. And... <laughs> The weird thing about self-defense mindset, I'm going to tell you, is almost everything you're going to hear about it is going to be almost impossible to understand until your life is really on the line, right? And so I did a really long, uh, a great interview with a guy named Tim Larkin about this, who I think dissects uh, the self-defense mindset better than anyone else. It's it, it's on, if you're listening to this or watching, it's on my YouTube channel, it's on the, on, on the podcast. Uh, uh, there's also um, a blog post about it. Um, I'll tell you, I have not thankfully ever had to fight for my life. At least I don't think so. Maybe I did and I didn't know it. But uh, I have done a lot of training that, that's called force on force or very, very close. It's simulated fighting for your life, right? Which is not the same thing. But it is close enough that um, you kind of get that adrenaline uh, 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 drop and you get that feeling. And I will tell you, 
Okay, I'll give you a really good example. The first time I took a serious self-defense course was actually with Tim Kennedy with Sheepdog Response, and uh, who I think is one of the one of the best organizations to learn from in the country, especially for beginners, which I'm going to talk about later. But um, so uh, I took the the protector, what's called now the Sheepdog Protector One course. It's kind of like their flagship introductory course, and you do it's two days. Ha, uh, you you do hand to hand combat in the morning. And then uh, shooting, pistol shooting in the afternoon. And the first day, you know, I, I think I was a, actually a purple belt at the time. You know, I, doing hand-to-hand. And I'm like basically, I know most of the instructors. I do jiu-jitsu with them. And like I'm basically an instructor. Because it's like a lot of people have never really, you don't really know any hand-to-hand stuff. And so I was like, you know, smoking all of them. Like uh, trivially easy, honestly. And then the next day, the next morning, then we shot in the afternoon. And then the next morning, we did hand-to-hand. But this time they threw in knives. And obviously play knives, you know, plastic um, training knives. And the exact same men and women that I was crushing the day before were killing me, right? Like, and not literally, but like, uh, you know, it'd be some, some old guy or some uh, girl or something. And I would like take them down, get inside control. And then all of a sudden I'd feel this blink, 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 this little poking in my liver. And I'm like, oh man, that 120 pound woman just stabbed me three times in the liver, I'm dead. Like if that had been a knife and we had actually been fighting, I'm dead. And for like 15 or 30 minutes, I had people who had no business competing with me unarmed and couldn't smoke me. That was a fucking wake up call. Like it was honest, emotionally, it fucked with me. Uh, Because here's the reality, had I, you know, like if you're even a mid-level belt at jujitsu and you go against people who aren't trained, they don't have a chance. They have no chance if, if they don't have any tools, no weapons. Um, they have no chance, truly. And, you know, I'm a decent sized guy. I'm 180 pounds. I'm decently strong. So, like, um, it was shocking to me because I would have, before that day, I would have gone into a knife fight if that had ever happened, thinking, Oh, I can totally smoke this guy. Yeah, he's got a knife. I got to pay attention to it. But this guy has no chance. And I would have been wrong. And I probably would have been killed. That was, uh, I can't, I, I'm going to repeat myself, but that was such a fucking wake-up call to me. And that was when I really understood not just what a self-defense mindset was, but why I had to train with my weapons and, and train scenarios that were as realistic as possible. Um, and so I, I've been doing that for quite a bit. And then the, the, uh, the next step then was figuring out what tools, what tools of violence uh, was I going to carry with me, right? So let me dive deep into, uh, well, actually, for, if you're, again, listening or watching, I did an amazing interview with a guy named Jeff Gonzalez. Uh, Jeff is a former Navy SEAL. He um, developed the low-vis, like the the undercover, essentially, program for Navy SEALs. He has been out for, I don't know, a decade or so, and he spent the whole time focusing on civilians and training civilians, mainly civilians, on how to carry concealed weapons in a way that's, like, legal and effective. And so I did a long interview with him. It's fantastic. I really dove deep into it. And there were more than a couple of things where he's like, no, you're doing that wrong. Don't do that. <laughs> and so he's really good. I would highly recommend you listen to that. Uh, that interview will will do a much better job than I would in under, help you explaining what an EDC is, you know, and, and, and how to figure it out what to carry, right? And then train with it. But let, I'm gonna want, right now, I want to walk you through my EDC. What is an EDC? EDC stands for Everyday Carry. 
right? So what is on your body every single day? What I'm about to tell you, you're going to laugh at at the simplicity. And, and it's cool because I, I laughed at it too. It honestly took me a year to understand this. Having a bunch of amazing, awesome guns and all the ammo you need is totally fucking useless if it's in your house when you get attacked. I can't, dude, I can't tell you. Even to this day, yeah, I like freaked out in the summer of 20, bought a bunch of guns, did a bunch of training, and left fucking everything at my house. And then went out like, and I'm like, I remember one time I was in a walk, walking in my neighborhood. This is before I had the ranch. And um, with my kids and saw like this sketchy dude, kind of sketchy Antifa looking dude. He probably was just, he probably lived there or whatever. But I just remember like driving around, like past us twice and whatever. And I remember thinking like, uh, I was probably slightly paranoid at the time. I'm thinking like, all right, I need to be ready in case this guy stops and tries to do something to me or my kids, right? But what I... My paranoia aside, what I realized was I didn't have any weapons on me. I had no knives. I had no guns. I had nothing. Right? So it was like, it literally, it was like, <laughs> you can laugh at me and you should. I had, I bought knives. I bought guns. I had trained on them. <laughs> I wasn't carrying anything. So um, that was a, a wake up call to me. That like, you know, uh, buying the thing is not the same thing as, as having it, right? So the EDC is a term that's used in the self-defense community because the idea is if it's not on you, it doesn't exist. Okay. And that's just true. Now, here's what's funny. Everyone has an EDC. Everyone has a self-defense system that, that uh, uh, goes off their EDC. If you don't think you do, then your system is just nothing. You know, you're just like, oh, well, I got a wallet I can throw at them or something, whatever you care. Like that's... A, a bad system is still a system. The only question is, are, is your system going to be intentional and effective? Right? Okay. So, um, and just straight up, let me tell you too. Um, I don't know. That, that. All right. So, I get this question all the I'm going to go through it. I carry guns, knives. People are like, well, that doesn't that seem like excessive to you? And um, no, it doesn't. Uh, or they're like, you know, what if, you, um, what if you're wrong? What if you never need this? <laughs> Like, guys, if I carry a gun for four every day, everywhere I go for 40 years, and I never have to use it, I can't think of a bigger victory. Obviously, the biggest victory would be living in a world where I knew I didn't have to use it, was totally safe. That'd be awesome. That's not the world we live in right now. I don't believe it, right? Maybe I'm wrong. Okay, cool. But if I never have to use any of this, um, I'm... That's super excited, right? It's sort of like, I'm not a believer you have to have insurance for everything, right? Like I don't have flood insurance because I live on a, on a hill and there's no bodies of water around me that can flood, right? So like buying flood insurance right now would be stupid, but I do have fire insurance. And if I moved somewhere where I was right by a river and my house was, let's say, within even the thousand yard floodplain, I would buy flood insurance. Okay, so that's basically different. I used to live on a hill. No chance of flooding, didn't buy flood insurance. I moved, now I live by a river. Not super close to it, I'm not in danger every day. I mean, I live in Dripping Springs. There's like, what's gonna happen here? Nothing, probably. But I go into Austin all the time, I go to Houston, I'm all around and I don't know anymore. I live on a thousand year floodplain, so I need flood insurance. That's how I see a gun in an EDC, okay? All right, um, now I will tell you, my EDC has evolved. It is not a start, uh, like a, I just had one thing and that was it. My first EDC was a basic SIG 320. 
uh, sort of this is a SIG 320 right here. This is very what gun guys call Gucci'd out. So it's like got, you know, it's a, a custom slide and a custom uh, grip module, which is like the handle, and then all kinds of cool little things on it that you really don't need, but that just make the gun easier and better. A red dot. Uh, stuff like that, which is a, a red dot's a sight, a holographic sight that goes on the top has a little red dot. So instead of having to look through iron sights, you just put the red dot on something. And if it's uh, dialed in correctly, you you shoot the dot and that's where the bullet goes. Um, so I, I had a, a gun just like this, but much more basic. And I carried it in a fanny pack, right? Like, and there's actually, uh, right now, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the video of, I went on a podcast and I had my fanny pack with me. And the dude had just moved to Texas. He's like, why does everyone in Texas have fanny packs? I'm like, because they're carrying guns. And I pulled out my gun. And he was like, whoa. And he's all freaked out. Uh, so I used to carry that way. Uh, I, uh, that was essentially, this is the way that Tim Kennedy teaches uh, in Sheepdog, is, um, is carry uh, in your fanny pack. And so I was like, okay, well, Tim Kennedy's Green Beret. Like, he's a military guy. He knows what he's talking about. Mm, see, this is what I'm talking about. You got to be careful, military dudes. Tim's brilliant and a genius and knows his stuff. I think he's wrong about this. At least definitely for me, but uh, for a lot of different reasons. So, uh, and I'll tell you how I figured out he was wrong. I went to Bill. Remember I talked about force and force earlier. I went to a, a, a training of a guy named Bill Rapier. He owns a company called Amtac Shooting, A-M-T-A-C. A-M-T-A, yeah, right, AMTAC. Um, and he has a course called Force on Force. And Tim Larkin recommended him to me. And uh, Force on Force is where you go with like an airsoft gun that's just like your regular gun and, and training knives that are just like your regular knives. And you go with your exact setup, like what you carry on a day-to-day, -day, your EDC, what you carry on a day-to-day -day, day basis. And then you face off against other dudes with your EDC and you see how your system works when it's pressure tested. Well, I showed up with one folding knife in my pocket and a, uh, you know, gun, uh, you know, airsoft, but whatever, airsoft in my fanny pack. And I got my fucking ass handed to me by like old dudes. <laughs> it was bad. It was really bad. And I realized immediately that my sister, I thought I went from not carrying to carrying, but I was carrying, my EDC sucked. And I pressure tested it and realized that. Thankfully, in a situation where I'm just getting hit with plastic bullets instead of, or plastic BBs instead of bullets. So I realized, oh, okay. There's a reason why badasses, most badasses, carry in a holster concealed. Because the amount of time it takes to pull your gun out of a fanny pack, get it on target and shoot, um, uh, three seconds is a good time. I was even down to two and a half, which is you know, really pretty solid. Not as fast as possible. It was pretty, pretty fast. Uh, a decent draw and shoot out of a concealed, whether, uh, uh, um, you know, concealed on your body in a holster is like two seconds, really sub two seconds. So half second doesn't sound like much. It's more than enough for me to get shot twice before I get a round off. And then like the, the whole blade thing, like folding blades, are slow to get out, and you can't really get them out secretly. I was just getting my ass kicked. So I realized, um, and Bill is an amazing dude. I'm gonna talk about him more later. He spent 14 years in SEAL Team Six, so he's like a he's like a legend in that community. It's a community of legends, and he's like one of their legends. And he didn't tell me this. This is what other people that I know that are were in SEAL Team Six said about Bill. And um, 
Man, uh, because of that course, I fully revamped my entire EDC. And so now I'm gonna show you what I carry. So let's start with, first off, let's start with the, a, a real EDC is everything. So I carry a wallet. Uh, now, this wallet, why this wallet? Um, actually, let me start with a phone. So I, I carry a phone like everyone does. I have a phone that has uh, uh, an ins inside pouch that has, I carry like two credit cards in there, right? Why? Well, if I get robbed, right? Uh, and by the way, just because I'm getting robbed doesn't mean I'm gonna pull my gun and start shooting. There, there are plenty of situations where someone could get the drop on me and I they just want my wallet and I decide, all right, I'm gonna avoid the risk of dying by giving them my wallet. That's the price, that's fine. Like, uh, 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 that's no problem. And any good self-defense person will tell you the best fight is the one you avoid. So I have a wallet, money on the outside. This also has cards in it, right? So if someone were to rob me, God forbid, or I lose my wallet, which I have done before, I have cards in my phone case. Just a small thing, not a big deal, but uh, I also carry, obviously, my car keys. It was so funny. I posted my EDC online one time, and uh, which is like a thing gun guys will do, and then other people evaluate it or whatever. I, dude, some dudes freaked out that I didn't have uh, keys with my car keys. Like, what the fuck? This EDC is fake. This is bullshit. Like, you want me to believe you don't carry house keys? And I was like, <laughs> I live on a ranch, dude. Like, you, it, it's a, a mile from the entrance or whatever it is, half mile to get to my house. No, dude, I don't lock my house. I don't even carry keys. It was so funny. Like, he couldn't even conceive of a reality where someone didn't have to lock their house. I mean, my ranch is heavily defended, whatever, but which is obviously... Just my obnoxious way of telling you I have a ranch. I know, right? I, what a douchebag. Keys, wallet, phone. All right, so those are the non-weapons I carry. So what weapons do I... I guess, actually, we're going to start with weapons with belt. So one of the most underlooked but important aspects of your EDC is your belt. And this took me... You can look at the picture in the video if you're watching the video or online. I've bought, that picture is maybe half the number of belts. I bought about so many goddamn belts because it's so hard to find a belt that fits and that I liked and that was comfortable. I ended up on um, a belt called Core, K-O-R-E. Um, it's a very rigid belt. You can find a lot of rigid, you want a, th a very stiff rigid belt because you're putting a gun holster on it. What's cool about this, it has these little notches, right? And so you can just, you can hear it click here. You just slide in. Right? And then that way, like, you can tighten it, untighten it very easily. It's not holes. Belt holes are very, they're just a pain in the ass, right? This is just a better system. Um, I settled on this. I started with Tenacore belts, which uh, they have these little flat, kind of more of a fabric-y belt. I, I realized you got to have a, a very stiff belt. Why do you need a stiff belt? Let's talk about holsters. So my last time I posted EDC, I had a hybrid holster. It had leather on the inside, Kydex on the outside. What's Kydex, by the way? Because a lot of people don't know. Kydex is a form of plastic. That's all it is. And because uh, that, that, that holster is very comfortable, right? Leather on my skin. Uh, you want Kydex because of retention. You see, you put your gun in, Kydex uh, doesn't fully stick to it, but it holds it in. And so you've got to really pull to get the gun out. That's that's the point of Kydex. Anyway, so um, now there are plenty of badasses like Clay Martin who actually use hybrid holsters. But Jeff Gonzalez and Bill Rapier and a few others are huge advocates of full Kydex holsters for retention. 
right? Uh, re retention number one and consistency of draw, which again was one of those things I did not understand or believe in at the beginning. But the more I practiced and the more I trained, the more I realized, oh, these dudes have been doing it all their life. I actually do know what they're talking about. <laughs> and so I, I shifted to a all Kydex holster. You can see right now, if you look in the video or on the site, the pictures of all the holsters I bought. I have, it makes me want to throw up to think about how many holsters I had to buy to find one that I really liked, that really worked. Right now, I am using uh, a company called Black Point. There, um, this is, I think the, I think it's called like the wing holster. Um, you can tell it has these leather wings on the side. This is cool because you can adjust how it sits and how it fits. Um, I like these. There's other really good companies. Black Point's a great company. They do really good stuff. This is great because it allows me to adjust it um, in a way that's very comfortable. Now, there's two different ways to carry, right? There's appendix carry, which is right here, if you're looking, like on your appendix, essentially. And then there's what's called three o'clock or hip carry, which is right here. Uh, there's a big debate about where to carry. I usually hip carry. Not usually, I hip carry. Um, there's a couple different reasons for that. Uh, it's what Gonzalez does. It's what... Uh, uh, all actually almost all the, the badasses that I take advice from all hip carry. Even though appendix carry is the most popular with a lot of people and also probably is the fastest draw, um, hip carry is just a little bit slower, but I think it's a little bit safer. And I think it also helps with concealment uh, a lot better, certain types of concealment and concealed draws and stuff like that, right? So um, I like hip carry. But if you do appendix, it's fine. All right, so Black Point's mine. There's a ton of other great Tamacor, Red Balloon. There's a ton of other really good companies that do. But I would recommend, man, I've shifted on this just recently. I'd recommend a full Kydex holster for most people. Although if you start with a hybrid just to get used to it, like I did, I don't blame you. All right, that's, so that's belt and holster. Now, let's talk about gun. Now, this is, like I said, I use a, a this is a SIG 320X carry. I've got uh, Trijicon SRO. Red dot, um, like a some custom slide, and then Icarus Precision Grip. Uh, this is a mid-size pistol, not a full size. Like a full size would be about an inch, yeah, about an inch longer, right? But it is like a full size width, right? Um, uh, so this is kind of a on the bigger side of concealed. This is definitely designed to be a concealed weapon, uh, but you can get smaller ones. So for example, I have this. This is a Sig 365 XL. Um, it is, it also has a red dot, a different one, Icarus precision grip, another custom slide. It's got a little compensator on the top because those guns tend to be a little snappy when, when you, when you fire. I don't actually really like, I don't carry this pistol, even though it's small and you can see how much thinner it is. Um, a lot of people really like this for a concealed weapon, not my favorite, but it's mainly because I don't like the way it fires very much. So I, I'm willing to take the bigger bulk and the heavier weight to get one that I like shooting. Not a right or wrong there, just different. All right, talk about knives. This is my primary, my strong side knife. I carry, all my pants have, um, what are these called? Foreman pockets or carpenter pockets? Like the, the, the dropped pocket down on your right side. Uh, I carry, uh, this is called a, uh, an Amtac blades made by Bill Rapier actually, designed by him. Um, this is a Magnus. So this is kind of like the big one. He has three different sizes. They're all this shape. I mean, like I could go through, it's crazy 
the detail and sophistication that that once you start designing or thinking about knives for fighting, the things you have to think about, right? Um, which I'm gonna get into knife stuff in a minute. I carry one on my strong side uh, in its own pocket, right? And I actually carry two knives, which is super unusual for a lot of people. This is a this is my I call it my offside. But like, uh, I should call it my other strong side. That's what uh, Bill and Syak uh, calls it, which I'm going to explain Syak in a minute. This is a, um, uh, this is called the Rat from Headhunter Blades, uh, uh, designed by a guy named Harley Elmore, who's a total badass. Uh, so I carry this on my belt right here on my hip, uh, my left side, my other strong side. And so I pull this one reverse grip. And then my other, I would pull standard grip. So this is a huge question I get. First, why fixed blades as opposed to folding? Because folding blades fail. Um, uh, they are slow to pull out. Uh, they are hard to pull out. And especially under stress, someone's attacking you. Um, that's a huge pain in the ass. That's a no-no. So I learned that the hard way. Uh, force and force. I had a folding blade. All the dudes fixed blades fucking stabbed the shit out of me. Then why two blades? So I train... Uh, with a group called Sayak Kali, S-A-Y-O-C, and then Kali, K-A-L-I. Now, uh, Sayak, uh, uh, they are an unusual group. They started by um, Chris uh, Sayak Jr., I think. And if I'm screwing up the, the chronology, I'm relatively new to Sayak, so, so you got to be patient with me. But it's a Filipino knife fighting art. And um, I think they're probably the best uh, knife fighters in the world, uh, at least in my opinion. And um, all of the SEAL Team 6 guys I know um, all train Sayak. Like Sayak uh, uh, has a group called Sayak Tactical. They train, I know they train SEAL Team 6 and I know they train Delta Force. And I think they train some other, the high level. Uh, but basically the two groups of baddest asses, the ones who have to be the best at fighting, even with blades, both train uh, learn how to fight with blades from these dudes. So um, uh, I am lucky enough, I live in Austin and there is a trainer in Austin. His name is Jake Patterson. Uh, he runs Patterson Martial Arts. And like, if you don't really know Sayak, it looks like kind of a normal martial arts thing. Um, and it can be, but he is um, like, a, I forget, basically the black belt level of whatever Sayak, I forget what they call it, full instructor or something. And he's an absolute badass. You know, like I do enough training where it's like, I, like I know if someone's full of shit or not. That dude is the opposite, <laughs> full of shit. And uh, Sayak is amazing. And I have, they are, that, their system is a two-blade system. It is incredibly effective. I, I think anything deeper than that, they don't like people talking about that aren't, like I'm not a, I don't know, a ranked member of the Sayak hierarchy. So I, if you want to learn about Sayak, they have a website. Go to Sayakali, Google that. I cannot recommend them high, highly enough. They're Amazing. And if you're lucky enough to be in an area with them and you want to learn knife fighting, which I think is very valuable for a lot of different reasons, because gun is not always the answer, uh, 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 whereas, you know, knife can be. And so um, I would look at them. Now, there's one other thing in my everyday. Oh, this is my magazine for my gun sitting here, which is obviously not in the gun. One other thing uh, that I carry. Um, I've been back and forth on this. Uh, I didn't used to carry it. It was not part of my EDC, but Jeff Gonzalez convinced me to is a non-lethal option, right? So this is this is OC spray, not just pepper spray. So it's a company called Palm, P-O-M. You can buy these on Amazon. 
And it's a really well-designed OC spray, um, which is a little bit stronger than uh, pepper spray. And um, the, the scenario he gave, what they convinced me was like, okay, dude, let's say you're in a restaurant and uh, some guy, some guy's being a fucking asshole, you know, slaps his wife and punches a waitress. Uh, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot him? No, I'm not going to shoot him. Um, aren't you going to stab him? No, definitely not. Knives are extremely lethal. Um, uh, no, I'm not going to stab the dude. At least not in the way this, this situation was described there. No. Okay. You can get involved, right? You can, and you know, you're, he's like, you're a brown belt. You could probably take him down and choke him out. Do you really want to get that involved? Man, you know, I might have to, I don't know. It kind of depends. He's like, okay. Or you can do. Uh, what I would do in that situation, walk over, spray the dude with OC spray, and then let them call the cops and deal with everything. You know, because the cops are coming. The guy punched the waitress, right? But like he's still potentially violent in the meantime. Uh, Non-lethals give you an option to do things that lethals do not. In that scenario, I was like, yeah, like I, I don't really, I'm not trying to be a hero, but that is, I would definitely rather spray the dude than engage him with, with for especially like, I don't like grappling when I have guns and knives on me, right? Like if I engage that guy and he feels the gun and pulls it out, like obviously I can do things about that, but then it's like I've now engaged the guy and escalated. It's become violent force, potentially lethal force. I don't want to get involved in that if I can avoid it. Non-lethal gives you a way to um, stay less involved in certain situations, okay? All right, uh, let's talk about a couple other things with the EDC. All right, so that's my EDC, meaning on me physically on me, where I go, everywhere, okay? Now, um, a lot of people will tell you, if you're getting serious about self-defense, that you need, there's a whole other set of tools you need, right? Like a flashlight, potentially a multi-tool, which is maybe a little extreme, but almost all, a lot of EDC extremists will tell you, you need, if not a med kit, then a, a tourniquet at a minimum, right? look, I'm not carrying this fucking thing around on my backpack. Like, this is nonsense, right? And so uh, what I do uh, is I carry my flashlight. Some people will put a flashlight on their gun. Um, I'm not a fan of that for certain reasons, but uh, that's a good way to have a flashlight. Although the argument is, like, if you need it at night, you don't, in, you don't want to have to pull out your gun. You know, it's like kind of weird if you're in a non-threatening situation, you've got your gun uh to light stuff. Like if you drop your keys in the parking lot and you get pull out your gun, that you might arouse some suspicion. Um, but I, there's a lot of situations where having a flashlight, having a multi-tool, having a tourniquet are important. I'm not going to carry all that. I mean, that's like ridiculous. I'm going into war with all this shit, it looks like. So what I do is uh, I carry these in my truck, right? And I have multiple ones. So I have a multi-tool uh, flashlight, multiple flashlights, and med kits in my house, in my truck, uh, and then any, and then also, uh, I got a lot of different places, but essentially any place that I'm going to be, um, I want them within sprinting distance, right? So 20 to 30 yards. Um, now, there are extremists who will tell you, you have to have a tourniquet on you. Matt Smith uh, is a former sergeant major in Delta Force. He's been a medic for his whole 20 or 30 year military career. He's the, the lead instructor at Sheepdog and he teaches a tactical trauma course. Matt Smith does not carry a tourniquet on his body. He'll have one like in his home work vehicle, 
right? And then backpack, like if he wears a pack, right? Which I, I any backpack I have, I have a tourniquet. So if Matt Smith isn't carrying a tourniquet, I'm not going to carry one. Uh, it makes sense, but because I, I always have one close, okay? All right, so that's I, my EDC plus my extended stuff, flashlight, uh, um, medical. This is not just a tourniquet. I mean, tourniquet's fine. This is a full, what's called an IFAC, individual first aid kit, right? So you can kind of see here a little bit. Um, it's actually got two tourniquets, uh, some hemostatic bandages, I think it's Rayleigh bandage, uh, a bunch of other stuff, uh, chest uh, uh, sealant, stuff like that. This is this is a trauma kit, right? Um, uh, like if, if, if I were to get shot, if I were to shoot someone, then um, uh, I have this to try and, I know the irony is like someone attacks you, you shoot them, then you go save their life, but that's kind of the world we live in. Um, or if someone else gets shot or car wrecks, these are amazingly effective. So let's talk about a couple different things with EDC. So why do I carry concealed, like under my shirt versus open? Uh, I think for a lot of reasons. Honestly, I think it's kind of fucking douchey to just have a gun on your hip everywhere you go in most places. And I don't mean that judgmentally of like, I mean, if you're a police officer or something, obviously that's different. Um, I, it doesn't bother me when people carry open. I just feel like um, it's not what I want to do. There's also another big reason. Carrying concealed, and I live in Texas, so we can carry open concealed. There's legal issues about where you live, then you should know what those are. And I'm not going to go over every state or anything, but there has been quite a few people who carry open, meaning let's say, you know, it's like on, it's out. Guns inside, someone will come up behind them, pull their gun out, and then just start running, right? Um, I don't think the risk of that is high, but it's another reason not to carry open. I'm just not an open carry person, right? Okay. Uh, most people aren't. Most people carry concealed. Now, um, let's talk about one more thing. This is going to uh, be a little embarrassing to me. But I just got I got to tell the truth about it because I think a lot of beginners uh, face this issue because I, I know I did. Um, when my gun, I first started carrying this. The I, what I did is uh, I carry what's called Israeli style. So this is a loaded magazine. I would seat the magazine and then carry the gun like this. No, there's not a round chambered, right? So I have to actually pull back. Now there's a round chambered. Now I could fire the gun, right? So let me. Let me unchamber it. Um, now it's totally un unlocked, un or it's unloaded and unchambered. But um, I carried my weapon loaded, but not locked, not chambered. It's called Israeli style, because that is actually the way I think the Israeli police carry. Someone Israeli carries that way. And um, quite honestly, man, I, I did that because it's scary. It was scary to me to have a loaded chambered gun on me at all times. I was not used to that. It was frightening. And uh, I talk about this in the interview with Clay Martin. Clay actually told me that it is very common for, for experienced operators who spent a decade overseas at war to come back to America and to be afraid of carrying loaded weapons with them in public in America. And it, which was like, I was like, oh, wow. Like you guys are, okay, so like I'm not just a total uh, bitch. Like there's a precedent for this. He's like, no, not everyone, but there are definitely some that are like this. And so um, uh, I did two things to help me get through this. One is that I started carrying 
Well, first, carrying a weapon are always hard. So the first thing I did was carry a, what's called a CERT gun, S-I-R-T. It's like this, it's exactly like my pistol, but it's red and it's a laser, it shoots a laser. That's usually used for training. But I carried that for like a week just to get used to having a gun on me. Then I started carrying loaded but unlocked. Then, um, well, Clay kind of forced it on me. What Clay did was send me a bunch of videos of uh, people who got into very intense self-defense situations and like pulled and fired right away. Um, and he's like, he's like, okay, show me in this situation, in any of these videos where you would have had time to, to, to chamber around. And I was like, fuck. Oh, he's right. He's totally right. And, and the reality is that in not all, maybe not even most, but in a lot of self-defense situations, you are gonna have someone on you fast. Like the way Clay put it, like the way I said, what I said was, dude, I'm pretty sure, you know, like uh, I can get my gun out and chambered fast. He goes, can you do it when someone has both hands on their on your neck? I was like, uh, maybe. He's like, well, what if they got one hand on your right hand and one hand on your neck and their knee on your chest? And I'm like, fuck. He's right. And then he sent me a bunch of videos that basically were showing that. And I was like, all right, man, if I'm going to be serious, I got to lock and load every time. And so I do. If that's not a problem for you, cool. It was for me. Uh, it was really hard for me to get past the psychology of, because it's like carrying loaded is one thing, but carrying with a round in the chamber, it's not even that I don't trust myself. I mean, modern pistols are very safe. It just means like, man, this is no joke. This is for real, you know? Um, and that's frightening. So I, I wish I like, I know it's like, oh yeah, I got over whatever. Only pussies care about that. I just gotta be honest. It was, it was a hard thing for me. All right, so if right now, if you're thinking, okay, Tucker, this is really cool, this is great. I wanna develop my self-defense system. I wanna learn this stuff. Who do I train with? All right, so I'm gonna walk you through how I pick instructors, right? So there's this amazing quote uh, from a guy named Kyle DeFore, who was former SEAL Team 6. I think he served with Bill uh, Rapier. And Kyle's a legend in, the, um, in that community and then in the, tra in the training community. He runs DeFore Performance Shooting. And Kyle says, uh, why would you pay good money for a carbine instructor who's never engaged another human with a carbine? We're dealing with life and death here. I remember I read that and I'm like, well, that's obviously correct. <laughs> so, because uh, here's the thing. I see a lot of people who are offering up their services and, and training this stuff. And it's like, they've never actually had to do it under pressure. And um, I, I'm not going to call them out by name. I definitely took some classes and some instruction from some people who um, I felt like barely knew more than me, if that. And it's not like I'm some expert. I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm solidly mediocre at this stuff. And so, um, so I, I dove deep again into this world, right? And, uh, and really kind of, explored it as much as I could. And I think I've explored maybe 20 or 30% of the training world. So there's still, there's, it's so big and there's so many people. But um, let me walk you through sort of uh, who, so let's actually start with the different types. So if you're looking for a hand-to-hand -hand combat trainer, I would actually do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and or Muay Thai or MMA. Uh, like it, it, I would do the unarmed combat sports. Now they are not necessarily the best at teaching true unarmed fight for your life combat, but 
anytime you're going to be fighting for your life with just your hands against someone else with just their hands, uh, the 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 step to go from sport jujitsu to killing someone with jujitsu is very small. The fundamentals are all the same. Same with Muay Thai. Same with MMA. Like it, the step from I'm doing this for fun as a game to I can kill you is honestly that it's that. Whereas like things like Krav Maga are total bullshit. Right? And I know if you're a Krav person, you're probably going to get all upset. But I'm just going to tell you, every single person I know who's had to fight for their life uh, says Krav Maga is useless. So take it up with Tim Kennedy and Clay uh, Martin and, and Bill Rapier and Kyle DeFord, not me. This is what they say. So uh, I, if you're looking around, I would look for someone. It, pick Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Muay Thai. Let's say Muay Thai slash MMA. So striking or grappling or both, ideally. Any, any school that has the Gracie name on it is probably going to be pretty good. I train at Gracie Umata, and H-U-M-I-A-T-A. I Gracie Umata in Austin. There's a bunch of Gracie Bajas, which honestly, the, some of them can be a little not the best, but that means not the best for a snobby jujitsu person. So Because some of the best academies in the world are Gracie Baja. And Gracie Baja is B-A-R-R-A. Yeah, I'm just pronouncing it in Brazilian. Portuguese, whatever. So Gracie Mata, Gracie Bata, almost any Gracie is going to be really, really, and a, the worst case scenario is it's very solid jujitsu, right? Uh, any school that has the name Machado is going to be good. Any school that has 10th Planet, that's Eddie Bravo's, they're going to be good. Um, some others, Atos, A-T-O-S, Checkmat, Alliance, um, to, anything top team, America top team, Florida top team, they're going to be really good. Uh, there's a bunch of others. So like that's not an exhaustive list. Just go to their, the, the website, look at who the instructors are, and then you want to look at what their lineage is, right? Did they learn from people who are, if they're not world champions, did they learn from people who are world champions? Are they coming out of that lineage? Um, or people who s competed at a very high level in what they're doing? Like if it's Muay Thai, have they competed? If they have, you're probably going to be good to go, right? What you want to avoid is anything that says Krav Maga or anyone who has some secret special sauce. Aikido, Hapkido, Taekwondo, basically any karate. Those are essentially useless martial arts in terms of self-defense. Um, and like, if you're upset about this, you just have missed the last 20 years of martial arts. So I'm sorry. Catch up. Next, knife instruction. This is not the priority, but if you want to be serious about knife instruction, I don't think there's any option other than Sayak Kali. Um, or, or there's a, another a group that's uh, a brother or a related group to Sayak is called Atienza Kali, A-T-I-E-N-Z-A. So there's a lot of Kali. Kali is, the I think, the generic term for Filipino knife fighting. Uh, Sayak is the family. Atienza is the family. Those are... I think the two best. Those are the only two I would train with. There might be other really good ones. I just don't know about them, but I know those are the two best. Um, so I will tell you, knife fighting is no joke. It is extremely intense, emotionally and physically, way more than I expected. If you put knife fighting off to the end, I understand. That's okay. I would I would start with um, probably gun and and hand-to-hand, -hand, unarmed. Knife can come later. It's just me. Um, okay, so in terms of uh, what I call a self-defense masterclass, right? Like the people, who are the people that are going to kind of help you develop a full self-defense system? Um, and let me tell you the ones I can personally vouch for. Sheepdog Response. That is Tim Kennedy's school. They're in Cedar Park, which is Austin, uh, Texas. But they, they do classes all around the country. I've taken 
Man, I've taken so many classes from them. Protector 1 and Protector 2, which are kind of their two flagship classes. They're, they have a class called the Vehicle Defender class where you like drive cars and shoot out of them. It's super, super fun. That is a super fun class. Uh, I've taken the Carbine class twice, you know, meaning the, like the Assault Rifle class. Um, and their CQB class, which is like the clearing rooms. They call it Singleton Security. Everything they taught me is fantastic. They are badasses at teaching fundamentals. Um, if you are new to self-defense, if you're looking for a place to start, Sheepdog is the, the place to start, in my opinion. Um, now there are other really good schools out there. Uh, I just don't know about them, and I know Sheepdog. Also, I think Sheepdog is maybe the very best place in the country for women. Um, even the, like if you look at Tim's social media, it, like he kind of jokes like he's a knuckle-dragging meathead. Man, he's a really smart dude. He's an amazing dude. Um, and he has a lot of women that work for him and that work with him that are really good female instructors that really know their stuff. Uh, my wife has been in the classes, loves it, loves them. You can actually find on his social media, she brought, because uh, uh, we had a scheduling conflict, she brought our, our, our baby, Cardinal, our youngest, when she was like five months. And like literally... Every instructor there, person working at Sheepdog, took turns holding the baby. They loved it while Veronica was training. And it was like they put it all over social media. It was pretty funny. Um, they're really great dudes. I, I'm, a t I'm biased. I roll with him. I roll with uh, Chantry and Matt Smith and all the people that work with him. I like them. I know them. But, um, I mean, I wouldn't be friends with them if they weren't really good at their jobs. So, uh, uh, I, and truly, I think they are the best place, in my opinion, the best place in the country for beginners. Now... Let, once you get a certain level of training, I'll t Sheepdog's not the best place to go. I actually talked about this with Tim. Tim, uh, they don't have a, what's called a force-on-force -force course, right, where you kind of take your setup uh, and the training version of your setup and you pressure test it. Because he's like, we, he's like, we, we want to specialize on beginners and fundamentals only. Cool, great, and women, is awesome. So if, if once you get beyond that level, then uh, I'm going to recommend three places to go. One is Amtac. Uh, shooting. I talked about it. It's run by Bill Rapier, 14 years in SEAL Team 6. His force-on-force -force course totally, it fundamentally changed how I uh, approach fighting or self-defense and my EDC. Bill might be the person most responsible for uh, how I do it. Uh, and that's not taking anything away from Tim. Like I learned all, a bunch of the fundamentals from Tim and his group, but the advanced stuff, a lot of that I learned from Bill, or Bill started me down that path. Um, the next person I would look at, too, is uh, a company called Trident Concepts. It's run by Jeff Gonzalez, the guy I did the interview with. Like I, I basically found the best experts I could, and then I did interviews with them. So I'm talking about the same people over and over for a reason. Like if, if, I, if I found a lot of people I didn't think were that great. I'm just not talking about them. Uh, Jeff, the difference, um, Jeff focuses, Bill focuses on EDC kind of from a low vis, like almost like, I mean, the way he teaches it is really systematic and really thought out and really badass. But he's like, he's coming from the perspective of almost like, I say this loosely, not using his words, but mine, you're almost like a secret agent in a different country. And how do you need to set up your gear so you can always get out of any situation? You got redundant systems, all that kind of stuff. That's great. Jeff looks at EDC from the perspective of a regular civilian and bakes in all the legal aspects. Like uh, when we did Force on Force with Bill, he didn't talk too much about the legal stuff. He talked heavily about the morality of stuff, right? Like he and I, I had a little argument once where one of the scenarios um, I shot in a, maybe in a borderline legal situation. And um, 
And Bill, uh, Bill's like, I, you know, he, he started talking about legally. And I'm like, dude, I'm a lawyer. I promise you I can write this up clean. <laughs> and Bill said, he said, can you write it up clean to God? And I was like, okay, well, that's a different discussion. <laughs> that's a different discussion. And, uh, and uh, no problem with that discussion, but very different. Jeff focuses on, can you write this up clean? Like, is this a clean shoot? Are you going to go to jail for this? Um, you know, it's never, it's never, I promise you, it's never a black and white cut and dry thing. But, um, and Jeff does a lot of uh, force on force, but with uh, people playing the role with like these big padded suits and you shoot them with simunition. For With Bill, it's more person versus person, right? Both are great. They're just different. Um, and then the other person I would highly recommend is Clay Martin. Like uh, Clay is awesome. Uh, his website is claymartindefense.com. Um, I don't think he doesn't run group classes yet, although he might, but you can hire him individually for custom stuff. And like, uh, I know a bunch of people have hired him. I hired him to come to Austin on my range and my ranch. And he trained me and a bunch of my friends for a couple of days and it was awesome and amazing. And he can kind of customize offering to what you want. But Clay is kind of like, he's my dude. When I have an issue, I text. And I'm like, he's the first person I text, you know, like, hey, wh what about this? What do I think about this? And he's kind of my go-to. Uh, uh, so I will tell you about two other places that I know are amazing. Uh, VTAC, which is Viking Tactics. That, that's uh, run by Kyle Lamb, who's kind of like the OG of the badass uh, operator training civilian world. Like almost everything everyone does in this space was pioneered by Viking Tactics. And then also, I talked about Kyle before. I am going to two of his classes next year. I have not been yet, so I don't want to you know, talk about them like I've been. But he has probably the best reputation in the entire space um, of the places I haven't been uh, that I've heard, right? Um, another great place is Fieldcraft Survival. It's run by um, Mike uh, Mike Glover, I think is his name. His reputation is absolutely sterling. I think I'll probably take one of his classes next year. Um, if you want, if you're listening to this or watching it on video, I have a list on the blog post of like ten or twenty more places that also. Uh, have really good reputations, you know, that were told to me by like Clay and and Bill and and Tim Kennedy and Tim Larkin and like so these are all great. I have not been to any of them though, and, and so I didn't necessarily want to recommend them or talk about them because what do I know? Um, but then also know like that that list is incomplete. There are great people who are not on that list just because I just don't know. Let me uh, also talk about there are trainers to avoid, right? Um, uh, there are. Uh, um, let me say it this way. Uh, Clay told me this, Clay Martin. Anyone who is teaching, who says, look at the background of the trainer. If you're trying to figure that out. Anyone who spent time in special forces is probably going to be good, though not always. Um, uh, uh, law enforcement, you never know. Like there are some of the best shooting instructors in the world are former or current law enforcement. But then also I've been to some of these classes where there were 10 cops in the class and I outshot eight of them. And I'm not like some amazing competition shooter, right? I'm, I'm, I get pretty average for someone who trains as a civilian, right? So like um, cops are all over the map. So generally speaking, if the cop has won a lot of competition shooting stuff or has some other credential, a long time in SWAT or something, they, they might be pretty good, right? It's hard to tell, uh, to know for sure. But the, the thing, the one universal thing I've always been told to avoid and has been true in my experience is anyone who has um, IDF, they're listing IDF as a credential, meaning Israeli Defense Force. Clay told me essentially everything that comes from the Israelis is total, total garbage and to ignore it all, including Krav Maga. And basically everyone else in special forces has told me the same thing. Like either former or current. 
I know that's going to upset a lot of crop people and a lot of IDF people. Hey, man, take it up with <laughs> the American SF guys because they're the ones talking shit about you. And by the way, I've seen a lot of their videos and their training, and I'm just like, this is nuts, man. Like, a lot of their training doesn't seem to make any sense to me. It's totally incongruent. I mean, they carry, like, without chamber, and I'm like, all right, man, not my thing, right? Uh, all right, so um, I think that is about it for self-defense. Uh, well, the other layer of self-defense is your house. I am not going to talk much about that for two reasons. One, uh, I live, my house is on my ranch and my ranch is very heavily defended, but I, my defense system is specific to my ranch and I don't really want to talk about that publicly for obvious reasons, right? But generally speaking, um, here's what I would do. Go read Clay Martin's books. There's also another, ah, I can't remember his name now. Um, Don Shift, I think, who has a series of books about urban uh, defense um, and house defense. I'm going to link those on the blog post. Uh, I would, if you're really worried about or thinking about home defense or property defense, I would read those books. First, um, Prairie Fire, Concrete Jungle and Prairie Fire uh, from Clay, and then Don Shift's books. There's also another guy. I can't remember his name. I'll put that on the blog. Um, uh, all those links, they're really, really good. Uh, I would highly recommend really thinking about personal defense. Like, where are you putting your gun? Not just on yourself, but in your house. So I have next to my bed a like one of those little gun safes. I have a, a distinct gun that sits in there all the time, right? So like that, it doesn't ever come out. It's not my EDC. Some people EDC is the same one next to their bed. It's fine. You can. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, and then I, I have other things in the house too. So uh, thinking about that's super important. I hope this was useful to you. Uh, if it was, awesome. Uh, recommend it to your friends. If not, then you're welcome to hit me up, ask questions on TuckerMaster.com. I have a contact form that goes straight to me. I will do follow-up pieces about individual questions, especially on self-defense. Um, this is the area I feel the most comfortable with in the whole preparation space. Not an expert on, but I'm most comfortable with. So uh, I'm happy to help you, point you in the right direction. If you're a beginner, you want to know more. 